and welcome to PDA, Neurodivergence, and the Perpetually Determined Advocate. I am your Perpetually Determined Advocate, Cassandra. This is a bi-weekly podcast dedicated to raising awareness and acceptance of PDA, or Pathological Demand Avoidance, which is a lesser-known part of the autism spectrum. My hope for this podcast is to provide a place of learning, growth, as well as a platform for PDAers, professionals, parents, family members, and others to speak out on this condition, as well as providing resources for those who want to learn more. I am still in search of PDAers, medical professionals, parents, and or teachers of PDA children who want to come and share their experience. So if you or someone you know would like to come on and use this platform to tell their story, please contact me at perpetuallydeterminedadvocate at gmail.com. Now, let's launch into this episode's topic. We are a little bit behind in releasing this episode because I was on vacation with my family this week, so that put me a day behind in getting this one out. But for this episode, we will be diving into a topic I presented in the first episode, and that is the autism spectrum itself. This episode will not be specific to the PDA form of autism, but I was inspired to cover this topic by a a post by Academy recently that said, I am autistic and dot dot dot, I like hugs on my terms. I'm okay with eye contact most of the time. I have lush friends. I'm great at telling jokes. Some may disagree. I quite like parties. I like being sociable. I'm empathetic. It's just that I keep hearing that some professionals say that you can't be autistic if you can do some or all of the above. Being awesomely autistic every day is different. And my ability to do the above depends on so many other things too. Plus, I do know some professionals that are amazing. This sentiment absolutely encapsulates why my son was dismissed from an autism diagnosis initially. He will look at you at times, but may not always hold solid eye contact. He will engage in conversation, though sometimes it will be more like a lecture than a conversation with you. He will try to make jokes, though they won't always be funny because he doesn't always grasp the societal norm for amusing. He feels deeply and will sometimes cry over the emotions of his imagined characters in his stories, or he could start crying simply from the tone of music that is playing. All of these things made his teachers, counselors, and even doctors dismiss autism as a potential answer to what was going on with him. The idea that autistic people are somehow these unempathetic, unfeeling drones incapable of imaginative thought is so outdated and it needs to be dumped with the rubbish. Autism is a spectrum of a more roundish and not linear proportions, and I will do my absolute best to explain that in this episode. So what do I mean by that? Okay, so here's the older idea, right? For a very long time, autism was seen on a linear spectrum from the nonverbal people at one end and the verbal people on the other, right? It was believed that the verbal people were somehow less affected by autism than the nonverbal ones and therefore needed less assistance. 
the outdated idea was that the nonverbal folks had a harder time and needed more attention and guidance to be able to function in a quote-unquote normal life, which kind of dismissed them as somehow less intelligent, which is totally untrue, and also gives them less credit for independent thought in general. Now, I'm not saying that nonverbal people do not need more assistance in some ways. I'm saying it's not black and white, right? Whereas people who were capable of verbal interaction were placed on the other end. Um, that was sometimes called mild autism or... Um, the other term that was often used was Asperger's syndrome, which is something that the autistic community really, really would love to see disappear um, because the name is sort of associated with some uh, a very problematic individual. And verbal autistics were seen as sort of less needing of assistance. Um, that was due to their ability to verbalize some needs, to make more eye contact, and to mask better than nonverbal individuals. All of the ideas are just tinged with stereotypes, and I will admit that I myself fell into this pitfall. As I mentioned previously, I saw some signs of autism in my son, but I believed that because he could hold eye contact and he allowed physical affection that he maybe wasn't autistic. I was wrong. I was misinformed. I was uneducated. And anyone who might be listening here and thinking the same, keep listening because you could be misinformed too. Autism isn't a linear spectrum from nonverbal to verbal with neat and tidy guidelines scattered throughout the line for proper ranking. It's more of a round spectrum with people experiencing life in different ways and often highly dependent on their social surroundings. For example, my children and I recently went on vacation, right? We visited a couple of amusement parks and dealt with crowds and waiting in lines. And all of these are potential triggers for my youngest kiddo who has an autism diagnosis. He is quite sensitive to sounds. He is very sensitive to smells and summer lines, right? You can see where that could be a problem. Um, crowds can sometimes be a problem for him as well. And so all of these things can trigger anxiety in some circumstances. If he thinks he's violated some societal norm, uh, that he has upset someone, he will at times try to run off. And it can be really problematic. But it's not always a hard and fast rule. He wants to go to these places to experience the fun and excitement and these things that he hears his older brothers talk about, right? He sees this happiness reflected in their eyes and he wants so much to be accepted by his siblings, but at the same time, he has trouble understanding and executing all the expectations of a neurotypical life at times. And he can be left feeling like he's somehow less than or lacking in these areas whenever he kind of has a misstep. And I can totally see where he has problems rationalizing, right? He has two very sarcastic parents and two siblings that don't always follow a literal path in life either. And that can make a kid with autism confused at times. 
since his diagnosis a year ago, I've actively tried to be less sarcastic and more literal in my expressions to make things a little less confusing for him. I've tried to adapt my way of speaking and acting in a way that is more conducive to his perception and also to his PDA. We never know when he's going to catch on to the sarcasm or when he's going to think that something is literal. We never know when, you know, a demand will be, you know, followed through without any sort of issue or whenever it's going to cause a problem, it's going to trigger the PDA. So we've had to, you know, I've actively tried over the past year to sort of adjust the way that I approach him in those ways because it's not a hard and fast rule. The older two kids understand the purpose of this, but they don't always appreciate it. And I have to, at times, remind them that picking on him is not the same as picking on each other. He sees critiques as far more serious and detrimental than what they mean them as. While they might see something as comical, he sees it as a direct attack on who he is and what he does. And it can cause him to really kind of go into one of those self-hate spirals. As a mother, this is a very fine line to learn how to walk, but as the kid who's navigating the neurotypical world, it's even worse. I had someone ask me once what I wanted for my son as an ultimate goal, and my answer's simple. I want him to feel like a kid. That's it. I will often explain his perception and understanding as a superpower because honestly, I feel like they are to some extent. But I also just want my son to feel like he's a kid and that he can have fun. I don't want him to have these struggles that I know he has. And I want to do everything I can to make his experience as anxiety-free as I possibly can. I don't want to add to what is already happening. That's a lofty goal, I know. After all, what's the point of this episode if not to point out the fact that there are some differences? So, going back to the initial point, what do I mean by a roundish or circular spectrum? So, that part, as simple as I, simply as I can put it, is to talk about autism as a point A to point B linear progression is kind of ridiculous. Um, it leaves no room for autistic people to experience autism in different ways. Um, to put it in different terms, not everyone who suffers from depression lies in bed all day and has trouble getting up or showering or remembering to eat. Some people do, but some people are, you know, they experience it differently and they can mask their depression better. So it's a very basic analogy, I know, but just to sort of present that not even other conditions have a variety of ways in which they can present in the individual. And it's the same with autism. For instance, many people have some idea of autism as this person who can't look at you, who speaks in riddles, and can't be touched. It's an outdated stereotype, though there are some people who do experience autism that way. Um, there are members of the autistic community who are, you know, who do fit into that um, 
expression, but, and I'm not trying to downplay those folks at all, um, but I can tell you that my child will, on occasion, look you in the eye, though he will look off and around and sometimes turn in circles to try to maintain his focus, but that's more to do with his ADHD. He will give hugs to those that he cares for and that he feels okay with hugging, but he can not go to sleep with people touching him. And he'll talk to you, and sometimes it's going to be in a pedantic, professor-type way, and other times it might be a simple, conversational way. So if this kid can violate the quote-unquote traditional views of autism, what makes someone autistic? If you really want a confusing answer, check autism.org's website. They say, quote, autism is a spectrum disorder, which means that it appears in a range of forms and levels of severity that I'll, I'll buy on board with. Some individuals develop typical capabilities in terms of speech and language and develop exceptional skills, but struggle with lifelong social and behavioral differences. Others may have challenges in communication, sensory sensitivities, and behavioral issues, such as excessive tantrums, repetitive behaviors, aggression, and self-harm. The good news is that appropriate treatments can improve outcomes for many, if not most, people diagnosed with ASD. End quote. So it doesn't really give a cut and dry explanation, uh, but that there tells you it can be a variety of things or only some of those things, right? The National Autistic Society explains autism as a lifelong developmental disability which affects how people communicate and interact with the world. I really... I have this love-hate relationship with the word disability. I know it's, necessi or it, it's a necessity for receiving accommodations to have it listed as a disability, but disability has such a negative connotation behind it. It makes it seem like people are somehow lacking in some way. Um, just that's the kind of meaning that's been assigned to it over the years, right? If you're disabled, then that means you're incapable of doing things, right? There's something that you're, you're just not capable of doing, that you're somehow uh, behind the able-bodied or the able-minded community or whatever. Um, and so I have this sort of love-hate relationship with that, with that word, but that's, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, but it's sometimes, it's this perception of the outcomes that can be most detrimental for many people who fall into some part of the autistic experience. Um, as Autism.org's explanation outlined, treatments can improve outcomes for many. Um, that can sometimes come across as you can train the autism out of people, right? Many parents feel like if they take their children to enough therapy sessions, they'll eventually become normal children, quote-unquote. Um, first of all, you should not be trying to create a quote-unquote normal child from neurodivergent kids because... There's nothing wrong with the way an autistic child thinks, acts, or reacts in a situation. They are following the path that their brain is telling them to follow. They are wired differently. There's nothing wrong with them. That's just who they are. And to try to tell a kid that they are going, you know, they need to go to these, you know, whether it's the occupational therapist or the psychologist, that they need to go see these doctors so they can learn how to act normal or be normal or they can learn how to be better. Those are horrible things to say to a kid, and that is not something that anyone should ever be doing. Um, 
you know, I have some concerns with the way that, um, you know, the IEP was originally written up for my son because it made it seem like they planned that within a year they were going to be able to have him, you know, the autism trained out of him and have him back in the gen ed classroom and he would not need any accommodations going forward. That's not exactly what it was, but the way it was written up at first, it seemed like, oh, within a year, we're going to have him all fixed up and, and, and cured. Like, you can't cure autism. It is an, it's a lifelong condition. Um, it is, and it's not something that needs to be cured, right? That's the other thing. We don't need to make people act less autistic. We need to just accept that not everyone is neurotypical, right? Autistic people are uh, sort of frequently seen as these overly analytical and literal people, but that again isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Because why wouldn't you want to know what you're up against in a situation? What's wrong with being prepared or being ready for any possible outcome? There's nothing wrong with it, right? So the other really detrimental part of the whole linear spectrum on autism comes with terms like high functioning and low functioning. These terms make it seem like someone can be 10% autistic or 90% autistic, which is absolutely bonkers. The other terms are things like mild and severe autism, right? These only serve to explain how you perceive an individual's autism. It's not mild to the autistic person. You may experience a mild form of pushback, but in their head, the autism is just as strong as it is in someone with severe autism. Labels only serve to explain from the outside, and therefore they are not helpful to the autistic person at all. That's why when it comes to autism, it isn't enough to have awareness, because we're aware that it's there. We need to have acceptance of the fact that some brains operate differently, and that needs to be normalized, period. Plus, when it comes to getting accommodations for learning, the idea that a person might need less leveling of the field because they're only mildly autistic is ridiculous. If a person has a diagnosis of autism, it is not up to the site or the institution to determine if they need more or less aid based on whether the condition is mild or severe. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, the other day who is a high school teacher and she said that there are, you know, there's some talk within the uh, TEA here in Texas that, you know, within three years we may not even have special ed classes anymore. And that whole idea is absolutely outrageous. You know, there are some situations where this is needed. Right? You can't just expect th to throw everyone into gen ed. That's detrimental for the students that need the accommodations and need the help as much as it is for the teachers who are now trying to have to balance all of that. You know, they just, that's spreading teachers too thin and it's putting children at a disadvantage, a huge disadvantage. In the end, autism has to be diagnosed by a medical professional. It's complicated, right, as I've shown you here, and they use several tests to determine the diagnosis of autism, and that 
diagnosis alone should be enough to signal a school, an institution, a job, to provide uh, accommodations for the person who is on the autism spectrum. The idea that someone should have to prove how autistic they are to qualify for any accommodations is heinous. Autism is autism, and should be treated as such. No, they won't always perform like a rain man, and sometimes you may not even know that someone has any sort of neurodivergence at all, though that's usually due to masking and a desire to not be treated as a pariah, though it could be that in that particular situation, they aren't having you know, that elevation of anxiety or whatever is you know, going on. But that does not give you permission to discredit that person as autistic. Autistic reactions and or meltdowns can be situational. They can be triggered by sights, smells, crowds, types of crowds, or any number of other things. The bottom line here is autism doesn't fit into a neat and tidy box any more than any other condition that affects the brain. It is a constantly evolving spectrum that is more circular or hell, even maybe amoebic than linear and brings out different reactions in each person. Children and adults experience it as differently as male and females do. The important thing to note here is that if you feel that there is something more happening than people are willing to admit, keep pushing. You know yourself or your child better than someone who's only around them 40 minutes a month. Get the second opinion, and maybe the next doctor will listen in the way that the first one didn't. As always, you can email me with any questions, comments, constructive criticism, or concerns at perpetuallydeterminedadvocate at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, in a world where you can be anything... Be kind.